4: This is unbreakable with Jay Glazer, a mental health podcast helping you out of the gray and into the blue. Now, here's Jay Glazer.
5: Welcome in everybody to Unbreakable a Mental Health podcast with Jay Glazer. I am your host, Jay Glazer and you know for those who don't know why I'm doing a mental health podcast, uh, when you see him on Fox NFL Sunday and on Ballers and Mitch martial arts, for years, I've gone on all those TV shows, and I've hidden the fact that I've lived in something called the gray my entire life, which is depression, anxiety, um, ADD, throwing a little bipolar while we're at it, and I wrote a book about it earlier this year called Unbreakable, how I turn my depression anxiety into motivation, and you can too. And my depression and anxiety um, has been a fight for me every day of my life. That led me then to literally go fight. And I felt self-worth of going into a cage, getting beaten up by other men. And I I didn't feel lovable. I didn't feel worthy of being loved. But I felt it in a cage, which is, well, let's put it frankly, how fucked up is that? That's where (laughs) I got male love. And one of the guys who was very proud to beat the hell out of me on a daily basis for a long time is my guest here. That is the UFC six-time world champ, Hall of Famer. My brother and co-creator with me of MMA athletics, Randy Couture, my dude. How are you, baby? Good brother. How are you? I am doing great. And so a lot of people don't realize the reason why it was okay for me to start talking openly is Randy and I'd be in the cage and we beat the shit out of each other. And then after we would just sit and talk about life and cry and just open up. And it was like, man, no one's questioning our manhood. So we could start open up about these things. And I wish we did it long ago, Randy. I really do. I wish I wish I'd come out, and you've been writing poetry about it now. You know, I hid it for all those years, man. And I don't think I hid it from you. I don't think I hid my pain from you, right? Like, you know, I was crazy. No, I never, but did you know I was in that kind of pain?
6: It, it's that's what's interesting about this whole thing. And man, I I can't tell you how proud I am of you for the book and and how good the book is. It, it really is amazing. As someone who's never struggled with the gray and i probably had every excuse or reason to to be depressed or, or i certainly have those same feelings of i wasn't good enough i wasn't good enough for my own dad i wasn't good enough you know for for a lot mm-hmm. of people so i certainly know that internal struggle but you do you have this outgoing gregarious loving crazy zany personality that i think in a lot of ways is a front is a cover sure. for the gray is it is a cover for you know anybody that met you would never think that you struggle with anxiety or depression. That's just the way it is. And so for you to frankly have the balls to step up and show that side of yourself, to show that vulnerability is, is pretty incredible. And I think there's a whole bunch of folks out there that can relate to that. And for me, it gave me a perspective because I have friends, other friends who were more open about being depressed, being, you know, having anxiety and stuff like that. My sister struggles with that. It's something that somebody who's never struggled with it has trouble comprehending, has trouble figuring out what that means, how that works. And that was one of the things that was very enlightening for me in reading your book and how well you put it out there so that even someone like myself who never really struggled with that, there there have been a couple moments and you and I have talked about mm-hmm. these moments, It's pretty dark. I don't talk about them with a lot of people, certainly, because it's not a comfortable thing to talk about unless it's somebody you really trust. And certainly I trust you and you and I have shared a lot of things mistakes, things we're not happy about, things in our lives that we struggle with, for sure. But it's one of those things that your book gave me a new perspective on folks who struggle with that every single day.
5: Trying to give it the words, and that's what I'm doing. Like, we talk about mental health, but who gives it words? I want to give it words so we can have these conversations. And like you said, listen, you don't struggle with the gray as far as you don't have depression and anxiety. But I want everybody to hear what he also said. He's had dark times. That's the gray. The dark yeah. moments, the gray isn't, it's not just depression, anxiety. It's whenever, you know, it decides that these, these dark moments in our lives decide to pull up a chair at our dinner table and throw our fucking worlds upside down. And
6: it sucks. And how much this and your confidence to step up the way you have this last year has come out of the last six years working with MVP and right. sitting in the huddle. And not only watching some of these soldiers and some of these other athletes bear their souls and, and let their demons out, but that's motivated you and I in that circle to, to open up and mm-hmm. share some of these things too w- with, frankly, some people. Maybe we didn't know that well, but because we were in that huddle and in that circle, we felt comfortable enough to open up and show that vulnerability too. And, and now look at, I mean, you're, right. you're running a podcast for it. You have a top 10 best-selling book about it. I mean, right. it's pretty
5: remarkable. It's fucking really remarkable. And, and, you know, again, I I kind of look at it in our damage. We have damage that led us into a cage, right? You're not fucking normal. I'm not normal. <laughs> that we go and go, oh, let's go step into a cage. And this guy's allowed to fucking kill me. And, you know, it's at 11 o'clock on Saturday night in front of the world to see. And even when the world doesn't see it, when we're just sparring, you and I, right? It's just, it's not fucking normal, But I've turned that into being proud. Like, I'm proud that I'm not normal. Like, motherfucker, I'm different. And different is good. Different leads to success. Did you, when you first started fighting, did you feel proud of it? Or did you feel like, man, I'm I'm really fucked up? I I mean, that
6: first time walking out there, obviously, I've been wrestling
5: and wrestling at a high level
6: for a very long time. But this was a whole new animal walking out of that tunnel in front of all those crazy fans that you know they get they get rabid at these events they're literally trying to rip your clothes off of you or steal your hats I mean it's a crazy scene and it's surreal that first time I was scared to death literally not sure what I had gotten myself into but yeah you you keep marching forward you keep doing what you're doing and somehow we get off on the pain right that, that the average person is going to shy away from those situations and that how somehow makes us feel alive, makes us feel things that maybe you're buried down there so far, that, that it takes something that extreme to bring some of that up. So here's, so here's
5: where you, here's where you changed my life. Okay. I'm gonna let you know where you changed my life. When I started fighting, I went into the cage feeling that I deserved to lose. So you do all this, you know, mental motivation where you, you've already fought the fight a million times in your brain. Mm -hmm. I used to go in to lose. I felt my self-worth. I felt that guy across from me was more worthy to win than I was. And I've tried Mm. to explain this to football coaches. Imagine every game you go out there, and you'll never think you're worthy of making a first down or a touchdown. And if you do, it's because you got lucky. But, man, you just didn't deserve that. And yet I still walked in there all the time with you all. And it wasn't until I started training with you where you shifted it for me. And you got me to not only see that I am I deserve to win, but to almost take the ego out of like your whole mantra and, and the way we train people together now at, at Unbreakable is fuck winning or losing. We're just going to be so relentless that we're going to make it a bad afternoon for whoever's across from us. And it just shifted everything. It took the ego out and took this shame out of it that I had, Randy. And I don't know if I ever told you this, but man, you just, you changed my life that. And I just... And you've seen me now wrestle, what, thousands of NFL players and (laughs) everybody from Andrew Whitworth to Lane Johnson to Kyle Long to Odell Beckham to Clay Matthews to Jared Allen. You name it, right? I fucking get after every one of them. I wouldn't have that confidence that I deserve to win if it wasn't for you.
6: Well, I appreciate that, man. I didn't. It, it's such an interesting thing. I obviously never knew you that you were operating before that and in that capacity that you didn't deserve to have the success. I saw the work, you know, the first time we rolled together was at, at the set for the ultimate Reduce. fighter yeah. back in the day. And I saw this guy that, that was putting in work that, that was enjoying that journey of sweating and bleeding and being on that mat. And I, I felt a kindred spirit to you in that because that's why, why I was there. I don't know. That was cathartic to me. The rest of the world goes away when we're engaged and we're punching each other, we're grappling or rolling all the worries, the bills, the anything, the, the fight with your girlfriend or your wife or whatever, it all goes away in that moment. That's why that's so relaxing and refreshing. And I've always got a big smile on my face yeah. there. Cause that's where I love to be. It's really interesting. Your perspective. And, and that shift that came through that for you. Well, Man, also I,
5: I learned, you, I learned exactly what you just said. Cause you had, you fought Tim Sylvia and we won't get into what happened, but, beforehand you got hit with legal papers and you know you go down and people don't know this Randy gets hit with legal papers and he goes down and he fights a guy that's a foot taller than him and 80 pounds heavier and he is smiling the whole way and he beats the dog fuck at a Tim (laughs) Soviet for the heavyweight championship of the world at 44 years of age
6: 44, 44
5: years of age and I said to him after bro how did you do that how were you able to compartmentalize like that do you remember your line
6: uh, well, I, I know that certainly putting things in boxes and shoving them to the side so we can stay laser focused on exactly what the task at hand is. No, your your is line was
5: that cage is the only place my problems can't touch me. Right. And I was like, oh my God, if we could teach this to other people, find that happy place <laughs> yeah. where you give yourself a break for people like Randy and I, it's a cage, but everybody out there find a place where for an hour a day, your problems just can't touch you. Yeah. The fact that it's for you going against a guy like a giant like Tim Sylvia, you're really fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> I want people here to hear also, because Randy and I, part of mental health is not just battling the gray. It's a fight. I've, I've turned it into a fight. Damn right I have, but it's also kind of mental fitness, right? It's, it's lifting ourselves up. It's even when we're in the blue, how to get that blue even brighter. So Randy and I, like I said, we started training guys. Oh man, yeah. I stopped fighting. Fox made me stop fighting in 04, but I couldn't stop. Like I need this team. So I learned how to start coaching and I learned a lot from Randy. Another great thing you taught me is don't tell them what you don't want. Tell them what you want.
6: Yes. Always speaking in the positive. I learned this the hard way coaching at Oregon State. Your brain is a very weird thing and your subconscious brain, especially picking up a hundred bits of information, you know, every second way faster than your conscious brain. Your subconscious picks up way, way more and you get gut feelings about things, about people and learning to tune into that and, and read that is, is a huge thing. But recognizing that we control our subconscious voice. So many of us react to that voice and that voice, I call in my crazy roommate, says shit to me that nobody in their right mind would say to my face and not mm-hmm. expect to get smacked in the mouth. That's how our, our internal dialogue is for a lot of us. And we don't recognize that we control that internal dialogue. So many of us react to that internal dialogue instead of shutting it down and giving it affirmations and positive things to say. When you get your conscious voice and your subconscious voice to say the same thing, you are a force to be reckoned with. And you have to recognize, and I wish I'd recognized earlier in my life, that I control that voice. That voice does not control me. I get to step behind that voice anytime I want. Let it chatter. Let it say anything it wants. And especially when the pressure gets turned up. You're going into fight week. You've done all the work. But if you listen to that voice, all the what ifs come in. What if he does this? What if I get tired? What if the ref makes a bad call? And you can live in that what if world forever. And now you're nervous. And nervous has a negative implication to it. I'm never nervous before a fight. I know I've done the work. I'm excited.
5: Everybody freaks out because I'm walking out of that tunnel smiling. They're sleeping back there. It's crazy. Randy falls asleep <laughs> and everybody else is warming up. It's unfucking believable.
6: But I, I've seen the fight a hundred times before I ever walked out of that tunnel. I'm confident in my plan. I know I did everything I know how to do to prepare myself to go out and win that fight. Is there a guarantee I'm going to win that fight? Hell no. But that's the nature of our sport. So I have to be comfortable in the work that I put in and who I am and my plan and walk out there and smile and let it hang out and use the gifts that God gave me and do exactly what I worked so hard to do. That's what it's all about. That's about being in the zone, about mushin, being in that Zen place where everything slows down and you see it coming and you execute everything you trained to do perfectly. That's what we're all trying to achieve is that flow state. And man, learning control, that internal dialogue is a huge piece of that puzzle.
5: I started out people, having to
6: write that down on five three by five cards. Really? I put it in my gym bag. I put it in my locker. I put it on my mirror. What, what exactly did you
5: put? What did you write exactly?
6: At first, for me, it was simply breathe. Move your feet. Breathe. Deep breaths. Keep your feet moving. As long as I was moving, if I didn't stop and, and let that guy dictate the dance, then there was a good chance hmm. that I was going to win. I was going to put myself in a better position in the mid. So the early affirmations were simply just to keep me moving and breathing hmm. in that circumstance. And then as I got better at it and I didn't need the three by five cards anymore, those affirmations were there. That little voice started chattering, stop. And I'd start reciting those affirmations. Breathe deep, nice deep breath, center yourself, you know, keep your feet moving, stay focused. Simple things. They're not difficult things right. and share those with, whoever's in your corner for me it was you a lot of times or or some of the other guys on my team that person that you trust that voice you're used to hearing maybe it's your mother maybe it's your grandmother it doesn't really matter share it to somebody who's close to you that understands and can see when you start to go off track when you start to let that voice take over and lead the dance instead of leading the dance yourself shut him down give him those positive things to say and get yourself right back on track and, and being on point
5: And we're talking about this folks in in the fight world, but this is exactly what you could use in the real world. Write down three or five. And that's why I have like pillars in the book, right? Find your team, call your team, be of service, laugh. Don't forget to laugh, right? If we could write down these pillars for you that could help you in anything for your job, for mental health, uh, whatever it is, I love this idea of writing them down on little cards, three by five cards and putting them all over the place. Beautiful idea. Dash
6: dash your car. You're going to drive that to the gym every single day. Put them where you brush your teeth every morning and every night. Put it on your nightstand where you shut that light off at night. You see that affirmation. You see that positive thing that you're instilling in that internal dialogue so that this that comes out of my mouth is the same that's going on in here. Man, you're, you're tough to deal with when you got them both saying the same thing.
5: I want people to understand because, because you said you're not nervous going to fight, but you're scared, right? You're, you're I think anybody that says there's
6: not a little bit of, little bit of fear involved in there. Is a sociopath that we all feel that little bit of Absolutely. fear. Absolutely, that's what motivates you to do the work. That's what keeps you on point. You're not going to go willy nilly out there. You're going to draw that map to get to that success from where you're at, and you're going to stick to that map, and that's going to allow you to smile, relax, and go out and do what you trained to do. So,
5: so I want people to understand it's okay to be scared. All of us are. A lot of us come from the the mindset we're scared little kids in there. We just want to be letting that anymore. fear you lock you up. And letting that fear, that fear of losing,
6: that fear of failing, keep you from going out and doing what you prepared to do is a whole different thing. But you got to take that fear and use it as gas. That's the motivation to put yourself on the line and to do the work.
5: And a real warrior is not somebody who retires undefeated. A real warrior is somebody who has no problem losing, right? They lose and then, hey, they just get right back in. Every single win, every single loss, they all make you equally warrior.
6: I say this all the time. First of all, my fight record is 19 and 11. Right. Everybody talks about, oh, six world championships. Yeah, that means I lost it at least five times, asshole. And the truth (laughs) is I lost it all six. (laughs) not about winning all the time. It's how you deal with the adversity of losing, how you pick yourself back up, dust yourself off and figure out how to go back out there and do better, not make those same mistakes. We all make mistakes, even in the fights I won. I made mistakes. Did I go back and watch those? No. I got the outcome I wanted. You can bet your ass I watched the ones I lost over and over and over because that's where I was going to become better, a better athlete and a better human hmm. by embracing that vulnerability and embracing that adversity and those mistakes. It was a huge part of my journey, and I'm actually more proud of some of the fights I lost.
5: Right. Than I am some of the ones I won. The warrior, the first three letters are war right? You have been through these wars (laughs) that most people just aren't willing to do. What I love about Miss Martial Arts for me, I was doing something that 99999999 percent of the world are unwilling or unable to do. Like we can get lucky and our friends could, if we can invest in a company and they could all of a sudden come out with something that's like the next Google or Amazon and we could be billionaires, right? But man, the nutsack we have to have to be able to do what we did and got laughed at early on, there's no amount of money that could buy that. So I, yes. I started, I started leaning into that. And that goes into, again, that made me different. My injuries, my scars, every time I walked in a room and I'm like, man, I have ruptured L4 L5 four times twice. Thanks to this ticket over here, uh, L1 <laughs> L2 three times, right? Like broke my, my, my ankle twice, man, dislocated my elbow, my nose seven times. My scars are what makes me who the fuck I am. My scars or what makes me powerful. Not my successes, my scars. Yeah,
6: I think we have to be proud of those scars. I walk around with this thing on the side of my head <laughs> all the time. <laughs> but, they're, you know, go to Japan, go to Bulgaria. They're going to call you to the front of the line if they see those cauliflower ears. Yep. They're a badge of honor. I earned those. No doubt. And I earned the respect that comes with those. So I, tell, I'm not bothered by them.
5: Tell people here, because so Randy and I, again, once I started coaching guys, And the first guy we coached was Jared Allen, who was a part-time long snapper, a full-time long snapper, part-time DN. All of a sudden, he got 15 sacks and told the world, yeah, I got this from training MMA with Jay Glazer and Randy Couture and these guys. And the floodgates kind of opened. So we've trained hundreds and hundreds of pro athletes. So Randy and I then started doing teams. We did the Falcons twice. We did the Rams one year. We did the Browns. We did the Saints. But just tell people, man, I get so charged up. When you get up there in front of that team, right, and they yeah. say, Randy, you got a few minutes, right, talk to our troops, talk to our team, take everybody through that.
6: Yeah, well, I mean, most of these football players mistakenly don't look at football as a combative sport, and it absolutely is a combative sport. So even though it's a team environment, there's 10 other guys out on that field. My, my perspective for these guys is, man, you line up every – Every ball, every play, you line up across somebody on the other side of that line. That son of a bitch on the other side of that line that you're keying off of better have the worst game of football in his entire life, or you're not doing your damn job. You should be pushing him, making everything painful, staying in his face. By the time the fourth quarter rolls around, that guy should be so sick of you being on his ass that he's done. He doesn't want to play you anymore. He doesn't want to play against you anymore. If you don't make that guy quit, You are not doing your job. It's that simple. Every time I walked on that mat or up in that cage, my job was to make that motherfucker quit. If I didn't make him quit, then I didn't do my job properly. It's that simple. So that means I got to work in the training environment, in the practice environment. I got to put myself out there to be able to go that hard, to be able to impose my will on somebody else and make them quit. Break them. It's it's a mental thing. It's not a physical. I'm not talking about breaking them physically. I'm talking about breaking them mentally. Make them work harder than they ever thought they were going to have to work in a football game. And if you're not willing to do that, then what are you doing? What are you doing? Why are you here? That's your goal. That's your, that's your task each and every time. And that starts right here in the training environment right now.
5: Woo! That's what I'm talking about, baby. <laughs> and that's, you know, again, yeah, we, we talk about... Unbreakable. He just said it, right? We're trying to break you. And as Randy and I are trying to train these guys, man, we're telling No hands on our hips, right? We don't take a stool in between rounds. We want the other guy same, our football players don't, no hands on your hips. We want them to sit there and go, what the fuck is wrong with Lane Johnson? Why is he not tired? What the hell's wrong with Kyle Long? Why is he not Why is tired? What the fuck is Andrew Whitworth smiling at? So forward forward Whitworth smiling at? <laughs> right. Why is Andrew Whitworth smiling at us? <laughs> fuck is what going on here, right? And man, you start to see it and it's like, Folks, you can control between your ears. So, like, you know how, like, as a little kid, you're sitting there, you're exhausted, and you just played tag with your friends when your brother or friend comes up, they twang you. All of a sudden you jump up, run after him. You forget, you're tired. You can control it between the six inches between your ears. It's the most powerful weapon on the planet, is that human mind, that brain of ours, if you the right way. But, you know, the other end of that, man, it's, you know, we're pushing, pushing, pushing to be – unbreakable in this way. And and now I'm telling people in mental health wise, I want you to go complete opposite. <laughs> I apologized actually to the Seahawks recently when I went and, and the Vikings. I told I said, Hey, part of the reason you guys are afraid to fucking say anything is because people like me saying, don't fucking show it. Don't show you're in pain. Don't show it. Don't put your hands on your hips. But in mental health, I want us to show it all the time. I want us to cry to each other. I want us to open up. I want it to be a complete opposite of how I want you in the cage, or on the field, right? I want you to really start opening up to your brothers on your right and your sisters on your left. Just start opening up them so you know you have your own fight team in a way. There's a difference between the mindset it takes to go
6: out and compete, certainly in an individual combative sport, but in a team sport as well, and that mindset of living a a full, engaged, loving, happy life. Those are are two different things. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and I think you've got to be able to be willing to open up to those people that are important, that are in your circle, and show those vulnerabilities, let those demons out, let those things out so that they can be dealt with. They don't like the light of day. If you keep stuffing them down, it's only going to fester, it's only going to get worse for you. That's what the huddle is so important at MVP, because it's a safe place where I have some trust there, I can let those things out, let right. them out into the light of the day. They don't, they don't survive there for very long.
5: So Randy here has a heart attack at Unbreakable one day. Full-on heart attack. <laughs> full-on fucking heart attack. And Rob Gronkowski's working out there. Randy has a, a Widowmaker heart attack. Had him breakable. And I'm like, hey, dude, you know, if you fucking died, it would totally change the brand. We'd have to call it breakable. It's just not a good brand, right? So thanks for not fucking dying, asshole. And, um, but a full-on Widowmaker heart attack. Then walks to the fucking hospital because he doesn't want to deal with parking, right? And, and Gronk goes, man, if I could have what... Behind my rib cage, like Randy has behind his, I'll be unbreakable. I go, Wait, Gronk, hold that thought because that fucking heart's about to explode. So, <laughs> we, uh, we get down to the fucking hospital. I, I bust into Cedar Sinai. He is in post op. They just put a stent in. He had, they told you had what, 10 minutes to live?
6: They said if I'd have been anywhere else, it might have been a different day completely. And that's crazy. I mean, things happen when and where they're supposed to happen. You got to have some faith that that's the truth. I mean, the month before I was hiking up Yosemite Falls. As dehydrated as I've been in, in quite a while, and the dehydration is what caused the plaque rupture and the scar tissue mm. in that artery. Uh, if that had happened up there, I would have yep, been toast. It would have well, been they, done. The doctors kept as telling it, us, as, you know, it, they, I live. I, my condo is three blocks from Cedar Sinai. Right. Let's be honest, it's a lot quicker to walk those three blocks than try and drive over there. Not with a fucking
5: Widowmaker heart attack, it's not, bro. <laughs> well, he gets I there. thought
6: I popped a rib, man. He I thought didn't he think popped a rib. A heart attack.
5: He's trying to foam roller out a heart attack at the gym. He's trying to foam roller it. So I get to the hospital. Like, five doctors already told me, oh, your friend was 10, 15 minutes away from dying. And I finally said, hey, guys, enough of this. Like, fuck enough, all right? I get it. He gets it. Let's stop saying this. Take it out of the universe. He's here. So then they're like, well, you, you got to wait for him to, to get, uh, I, I ain't fucking waiting for him. Cause when I almost died seven years ago, um, at Cedar Side and I were both my lungs aspirated, Randy was my emergency contact because in my fucked up mind, I'm going to get my back done, cleaned up. And I did this with him once. I'm going to come out of anesthesia. I'm going to feel great and we're going to train. So Randy's going to pick me up to go train. Instead, I wake up and his fucking ugly mug is standing over my gurney. And- in critical care at Cedar Sinai, and I'm like, well, I know I'm not dead and in heaven because if I was, his fucking ass wouldn't be here. So <laughs> if I'm dead, I'm somewhere else. Uh, but I don't think I'm dead, but I don't know what's going on. But the point is, my brother was there for me. He was the first one there, standing over my my gurney while my oxygen was dropping faster and faster. And you know, my my book Unbreakable came from a promise I made with God during that time. Randy, you were trying to get me to turn my phone off, right? He kept mm-hmm. saying, hey, bud, I, I think this is a real thing here. And I didn't understand what was happening. And, you know, all of a sudden that room went, shoot, and it shifted away. And that was my moment. My moment that I kind of made this promise with God of, okay, and I literally said, like, God, and my oxygen dropped to 60. And I said, okay, God, I think I'm coming to see you. And if I am, it's okay. I love you. But uh <laughs> I get choked up talking about it. But I said, but if it's not time, I promise I'll do more in this world. And MVP and then this book, Unbreakable, and that this podcast, this is my way of keeping my promise to God that I would do more, that I would help people. I know I got a little sidetracked here, but this is you know, had had I left this world then there would be a lot of people I know that also wouldn't be here because the, the charitable work we've done with MVP and now helping people give them word for mental health. So this is my way of keeping my promise to God. And a lot of times I think people make that deal and they forget about it. And they're like, okay, now I'm good. And, or a lot of times we go, okay, when when you're successful, you're like, I'm the reason. And when things aren't going well, you like to blame God or the universe or, you know, use a scapegoat. So now let's fast forward here because Randy was standing over my gurney. I'm like, there's no fucking way. I'm waiting for them to tell me when it's okay to go see him. So I come busting through post-op, get in there. He's about 10 minutes out of his procedure, his surgery. And he's just sitting there. He's like, okay, I think I'm good to go. And I'm like, what do you mean we're good to go? He goes, yeah, I'm good. I think, uh, I think I'm ready to leave. I'm like, bro, we're not good to go. <laughs> and you and I are very stubborn, right? Uh-huh. Extremely stubborn. Well, we convinced him to stay. And then about, Oh, uh, two hours later, he starts sweating. And, uh, I look at him and said, hey, how you hold up, cowboy? And he says, ah, something's going on. So I go and get the doctors. The doctors write in again, like, oh, well, let's go. You know, your friend was 10 minutes away from dying. I'm like, hey, hey, I'm not going to fucking tell you again. We're not saying this shit anymore. They also, you don't know this, but when I got there, they told me those days of fighting for your friend, those days are over. And I said, hey, hey, don't fucking take his hope away. Don't you tell him that. If anybody needs to have that conversation with him, I'll have that conversation when the time is Right. Okay, and we're going to lead to that story here to tell that. So I don't think you know that happened, Randy, outside your your room there. I fucking wore this doctor out. Don't you ever, none of y'all go in and tell him and take his fucking hope away of what makes him feel different and special. So all of a sudden the doctors come in there and they said, how you feeling? He says, oh, yeah, I'm starting to feel some pain again here in my heart. And they said, what's your pain level at? And Randy goes, oh, man, I'd say it's about a two. <laughs> this motherfucker has a full heart attack. And he says, a two, and they go, <laughs> and they go. What was it like at the height of your heart attack? Do you remember the number you gave? It, it was a, a four or a, five. a four. <laughs> said a four. <laughs> it says four, and I said, "Guys, hold on. Let me just show you how different this person is you're dealing with." Randy broke his arm against Gabriel Gonzaga in a fight, and ended up picking the dude up and slamming him on his nose, knowing that the doctors were going to stop the fight uh, in between rounds. Randy, what was the pain level like? When you broke your arm. Do you remember what you said?
6: Eh, it didn't really hurt. I mean, I knew there was something wrong with it. It was clicking, but it didn't hurt. I mean, in the moment, it didn't hurt.
5: Okay. Uh, okay. People, you want to talk about mental health issues. This motherfucker <laughs> just said, it didn't hurt. And now that he got mad at me. He said, it didn't hurt. It was just pressure. It was clicking. Okay. I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. See? See? So don't ask him what his fucking pain threshold is because he's just different. So, <laughs> <laughs> So... Fast forward and then by the way, he checks himself out, himself out of intensive care the next day because he was bothered by all the beeps and sounds in there.
6: No, I mean nobody can sleep in that place. How does anybody get any rest in there? And then somebody <laughs> brought their damn dog up in there. I'm like, what the hell?
5: So three weeks after this heart attack, Randy comes back into Unbreakable to have we threw a little party for him, like, Hey, we're glad you're not dead, party, you know. You know we don't we have being, being as as loving as we are. And next thing I know, this fucking fool goes into our office and comes back out, and he is fully geared up to train, to spar, fully. And he says to me, "Let's go get your stuff on." And I'm like, "Dude, what are we doing here?" He's like, "Let's go get your stuff on." I'm like, Randy. it was cleared. You, you got and you <laughs> said you said I'm on blood thinners. It's not your problem, right?" <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he said it's not your problem. I said, "Randy, what are we? We're three weeks away from Widowmaker heart attack." Do you remember the line you hit me with to guilt me into to, to spark?
6: No, what did I say?
5: You said I would do it for you. Oh. <laughs> what an asshole. <laughs> what an asshole. I would do it for you, like motherfucker. Well, I went and got my gear on. Randy and I went, we sparred. And the way Randy and I spar, we don't ever I learned from him not to move back, just to go forward, forward, forward. So obviously he does it too. So we just sit there and we go. And the bell rang and There was no rest, and then the bell rang again, and there was no rest, and we just kept going and going and going. I think we went three, five-minute rounds straight without any fucking rest, right? And then you pulled your gloves off and said, hey, fuck these doctors. And he threw his gloves and walked out of the fucking cage. (laughs) That is Randy Couture for you folks. And then you coached Ava Knight for another two hours and some of our football players for another three hours.
6: Yeah the doctors weren't sure what to do with me. So what am I going to do? Send you to rehab to curl 10 pound weights. I mean, it wasn't a lifestyle issue. It was a genetic issue. And
5: they didn't tell you to spar, you know, but that's what we do. (laughs) 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 It's just, but he hits me with that line. I would do it for you. Like, Oh man. And you're right. He would no doubt, but Oh my God, it was an all timer. And then, uh, Jay Haran hit me with that line later on also. I hit him with the line when yeah. I wanted him to help me get back to my shoulder and spar oh. four months before I was supposed to fucking have to piece of my labrum cut out. But that's again, that's folks, we're talking, this is a mental health podcast. So everything you just heard here, do the opposite.
4: <laughs> I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet.
1: black women the way we lean on our mothers our grandmothers our sisters our friends we're just each other's pulse i mean it's molecular you know listen to the bright side from hello sunshine on the iheart radio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts
2: oh hi i'm rachel zo and i'm back for another season of my podcast climbing in heels
5: in probably the last five years why gosh you know it's
6: it's it's hard to again i think a combination of uh being in the huddle with mvp and i think that being in the huddle with a lot of other folks that are struggling with other stuff that gives you some perspective where well, you certainly realize it could be a whole lot worse than it is but i think once you find that place in your heart and in your mind where it's okay to open up, where it's okay to let some of that stuff out. And some of that might just be our age. Let's let's be honest, Jay. We ain't getting any younger. No doubt. Uh I think I, I'm in an age, at an age now where every month or every other month I lose somebody that was close to me that was part of my journey that that meant something to me. And, and you know, I've had two suicides in the last couple of years in the gym as well. Those are mm-hmm. difficult things. I just feel like I know myself better now than I've ever known myself in my life. And part of that knowing myself is being willing to let some of this shit out, let some of this st- stuff out into the light, share some of this stuff with people you trust, that you know, that, that are going to take care of you, that are going to prop you up, they're going to help you get through it and give you some perspective to make it okay. That That's what yeah. I feel like has been going on.
5: Uh, yeah, our conversations have gotten deeper. They just started and, and we've always had deep conversations, but I think Randy and I have the most selfless relationship you could have. We just give, give to each other. We never take from each other. We're always thinking, how could we give to the other without ever having to ask or say anything? I'm just always thinking for him. He's always thinking for me, which is that's what relationships are supposed to be, folks. The art of loyalty, it's a dying art. And that's what loyalty is. And that's when you have these relationships. You could start being a lot closer and vulnerable with people in your lives because, you know, they just fucking got your back. When they're thinking about you and you're thinking about them, life is an easier place to navigate what's become a very difficult and darker maze.
6: Not only is it nice to have somebody to share those positive, amazing things with like your new place, you know, that place is unbelievable. Uh, You know, so many different places and things that we've gotten to go and see and do that were way more fun because I was standing next to you. But the same is true about the darker things and the, and the difficult things in our life, having that same somebody to lean on to, to bounce those things off of to, to find some perspective for those things that that's just as important and just as meaningful for sure.
5: Yeah. And we, we won't say what it is, but you know, you, man, Randy had come to me not too long ago and said, I had helped him through a really dark period and I didn't know. And, you know, for him to be able to open up to me like that and tell me how much, again, that's, that allows me to be of, knowing that I'm being of service to my brothers.
6: The truth is we've all probably been in that headspace at least once or in our lives. I've been in that headspace twice in my life. I never told you about the other time. Yeah. It was a long time before I ever knew you, but I you know, I was in an absolute dark place, embarrassed to tears and literally embarrassed to tears and and didn't know where to go, and you called me out of the blue, and you had no idea I mean you did, but you, you had no idea where I was at with what was going yeah. on and and uh man. Your sense of humor and, and your fucked upness, <laughs> your, your friendship, man, it, it just, it, it snapped me out of it and, and helped me get through it. It wasn't good. I don't even want to go into the details. No, but we don't man. need to.
5: Well, this is what I mean. This is like, you know, I put it in the book laughter, man, it's the gray hates laughter, but this brotherhood and this is me being of service, just calling a brother going, Hey, man, how you doing today? Hey, hey, what's going? How are you really doing? You know, when we call someone and go, How you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. Sometimes just ask people. No, fuck that. How you really doing?
6: Yeah, we're all pretty good at hiding right. shit. And the the ones of us that carry around the most darkness and deal with the deepest darkest shit on a regular basis are the best at hiding it. I mean, Robert Fallis, you would have never in a million years known that that was going on behind behind the curtain there. Same with Tim. You know, yeah. Tim Lane. Yeah, you would have never known this guy was the mm-hmm. brightest most enthusiastic person you'd ever meet in your life. And you'd never know those demons were in there messing with his head on a regular basis. You know, you got to pay attention. You got to learn to look for the signs and you got to be willing to go there to go and be vulnerable to, to open up and show those things and, and lend that support to those folks.
5: RC, last question before I let you go, I ask all my guests, give me your unbreakable moment. Like that moment, like that changed your life, that something tried to break you and couldn't,
6: yeah, that, that was a journey for me through the, the sport of wrestling. I started wrestling at 10 years old to get my dad's attention. My dad was a deadbeat. He was never around. No support, none of that. My mom raised three of by herself. But I heard my whole life what a great wrestler he was and what a tough guy he was. So I donned the compulsory uniform of that era, tights and a singlet, and walked out in front of all my classmates hoping to get his attention that he would come around. He never saw me wrestle, not a single match in my entire career. But I found the place that seemed to make me tick. Those coaches were very, very important to me because they filled that void. When I needed to kick in the ass, they were the guys to grab me and do that. When I needed an arm thrown around me and a noogie, it's going to be okay. It's going to be all right. They were the guys to do that too. I don't think they knew that. I've talked to my coaches. I'm, I'm good friends with Coach Case. my very first coach. I don't think he knew what he meant to me and, and that void and that thing that he was providing for me that I didn't have at home. But that was certainly... The journey for me and the courage to don that uniform and walk out there in an individual combative sport like wrestling, forget winning or losing. Hell, that was enough. Just just doing that, Uh, you know, and then setting a goal, even though he was it didn't work. He he never came around. He never saw me. I I eventually you know, was in the state finals my senior year. I was a one time state champion in Washington. He wasn't there. But that journey culminated with me fulfilling that dream to be that state champ. And and that's when I realized I can do this. Mm-hmm. Uh, I used that. I could have used that as an excuse to be a douchebag and make a lot of bad decisions and do a lot of bad things. Right. I used it instead to motivate myself, you know, errantly trying to get his attention, but still found my calling, found my vocation, the place that I belong ultimately led me down this road.
5: And that's exactly it, folks. Like we could use our mental health issues to choose the wrong path and the wrong decisions or to motivate us. So let's make that choice to motivate us. Randy Couture, man, I love you, dude. My brother, my training partner, so glad you didn't die that time. (laughs) You're probably not as happy that I didn't. (laughs) (laughs) Randy Couture, man, I appreciate you walking this walk together, brother.
6: Thanks, brother. Love you. Happy to be here with you, man. love you too, man, be well.
0: The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God.